Welcome to the Inspired Peak Performance Flowcast. Drop in as we dive deep into the epic moments of high performance from around the world, where we aim to unlock the valuable insights into their vision and the strategies applied in the pursuit of their own version of greatness. We'll discuss the experiences that led them there and what state they were in when they arrived. I'm your host, Paul Price, and this is The Flowcast. Today on the Inspired Peak Performance Flowcast, I'm extremely fortunate to be joined by Claire Sarah Goodridge. Claire heads up the epic team at the Flow Research Collective, driven by flow specialist and best-selling author Stephen Kotler. Claire is one of the performance coaches at the FRC and is the head of client experience. Claire is currently based in Perth, Australia and is super focused and passionate about how flow can have a major impact on organisations. She is currently completing a doctorate in business leadership with a heavy focus on how embedding flow into leadership, business and organisations can help people thrive. Sit tight as we dive into the world of flow with the amazing Claire Sarah Goodrich. Welcome Claire Sarah Goodrich to the Flowcast, the very first episode in existence. How are you? I'm well, thanks Paul. How are you? Um, I'm good. I'm excited. It's... uh, yeah, the first episode, and it's great to have uh, yourself on board to uh, to share your knowledge and experience around flow state and uh, in many different aspects, and and to to draw upon your work at the Flow Research Collective. So that sounds uh, like you've got a lot going on and uh, a lot of interesting, uh, phenomenal work that's happening. Can you tell us a bit about um, your doctorate and a little bit about what you're up to at the Flow Research Collective? Yes. So it's a as a busy full life at the moment. Um, it started with my doctorate. So I became very interested a few years back around how to up level well-being inside organisations. I was working at the time as a leadership consultant um, that was assisting leaders to guide their people through change, and I was seeing change really disrupt internal culture and uh, with that came a real uh, impact on mental health and I was seeing really sort of professional privileged um, people burn out and um, become very anxious and depressed uh, across the board with inside organizations and it just felt unnecessary and it felt like it had a lot to do with the way leaders were guiding people through change. So I delved deep into what kind of leadership is required to um, guide people successfully through change. And when I say successfully, I mean from both a well-being perspective as well as a performance perspective. And initially, my research landed on how to create a culture of deep connection and a culture of trust. You know, you hear a lot about high trust organisations and that was a very big sort of buzz leadership term a few a few years back. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, interestingly, and I'm not quite sure how, but I became really interested uh, not in just in the psychology of, of connection and trust, but in the neuroscience of connection and trust. Um, at the time, as I said, I was working as a consultant, but I was also a little bit looking for a little bit of something more in my life. And, and my, my highest flow activity is, is learning 
and then creating new ideas through that learning. So I decided to do a, a doctorate in business leadership. And that just gave me space and time and permission really just to, just to go deep into to looking at what is required. Um, and I, I, I was thinking the other day, I was reminded the other day how really my research began with the work of Dr. Paul Zak, AKA Dr. Love. And he's called Dr. Love because he studies or was one of the first people to go deep into studying and researching um, oxytocin, which is that feel good love neurochemical. Mm-hmm. Um, and so started there, went deep into that, really worked hard on um, developing leadership practices that enabled, empowered, nurtured, high trust cultures and worked with a number of not-for-profit organisations here in Australia, uh, specifically in the disability sector, uh, to to do that and had some really great results. And then then I had a question though, what's next? Once you've got a high trust culture of deep connection and that is helping to um, nurture well-being um, with employees, you know, what do you, what can you do with that? And someone handed me, just serendipitously handed me Stephen Kotler's book, Rise of Superman. Yeah, it's Amazing book. And I yeah. started reading that. And, you know, I had been familiar with the work of Mihai Csikszentmihalyi since my 20s. And I was very familiar with the concept of flow on a psychological level and you know i feel like i'd had flow in my life although i didn't didn't talk about flow as a concept but i was you know it resonated with me but steven's book was around the neuroscience of flow so it was very connected to the work of paul zach and others that were you know it was sort of in my realm of of research in in terms of neuroscience and neurobiology so i realized that a culture of deep connection and trust was really the the feeding ground or you know what the 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 underbelly of what's required for flow and not only flow on a personal individual level but flow on a team or group level so that's when I again started going down this rabbit hole of flow and the science of flow and the um the fact that now that we understand the neuroscience of flow as opposed to just the psychology of flow it means that it is actually trainable and that got me excited because um, it gave me another uh, layer, I guess, of leadership practices to test and um, explore um, and look at, you know, once you've got a, a high trust culture of deep connection, you can then move into a space where um, you can train flow or embed flow inside an organisation. And the benefit of that is twofold. Um, the technical definition of flow is a peak mental state where you feel your best and perform your best. So, you know, technically by embedding flow inside an organisation, you're up-leveling well-being and performance and innovation at the same time, simultaneously through the same training, just using brains and bodies. So that felt to me like a very elegant, exciting leadership phenomenon. And uh, for the last three years, I've been, you know, going deep into that, uh, looking at what that means for leaders, um, embodying it myself, learning and training in how to have a high flow lifestyle myself and that that led me to train with Stephen Kotler and um, what was the flow genome project Um, and then go on a journey with Stephen into his new venture his new business the flow research collective and really help establish that 
organization and grow it and uh, that's where I've landed now working for them as a coach initially but then heading up their um, training de department um, and still just trying to finish this doctorate it's almost ready to submit um, I'm pretty pleased that I've taken the time to do that because what what was exponential change or you know the change I was talking about three or four years ago in the disability sector in Australia you know that that was interesting and that was impactful but you know I can sort of extrapolate that research or that work out now to the scenario of COVID-19 mm -hmm. where you know real exponential change global exponential change that impacts everyone and every organization so um, the work I've done can now sort of it was quite focused in on a particular sector in, a, in, a, in Australia but now I feel like it's um, something that can be applied globally across any kind of organization. Wow. So it's been quite the journey then. So it's, it's, it's sort of shifted from, uh, the, the, as you said, the psychology of, of what was going on in leadership and, and uh, things like that. But now sort of coming into this, this day and age with all the amazing work that's been developed in particular, potentially over the last 20 years, we're able to now really tap into what's what's going on underneath the hood in the in the neuroscience area and and um understand what's triggering us to perform at our best and feel our best so so with that sort of knowledge then we can now actually manipulate our own um neurochemistry to impact our psychology which then will impact the way we perform and feel yes correct so so then it sounds to me and and my theory on this is that it's, it's something that we all should be aware of. Like this, is, this should be a pretty um, standard piece of training um, for us to, to be able to thrive as, as people um, and to achieve, you know, the success that we often strive for and, and the goals that we set. Um, so, so, so I want to come back to a lot of this stuff that you've just mentioned. Um, but one question that sort of came up for me while you were talking about that, um, deep trust in organizations what what does deep trust in organizations look like yeah I mean that's a really good question and I think it in ways what it means to one organization would be different what it means in another or how it's articulated and created and nurtured I think trust really means a level of psychological safety. Um, it means alignment to um, a higher purpose. So it, it, it means being transparent and, uh, and being able to articulate as an organisation why you exist and be able to um, meaningfully connect employees to that. Um, and I think it's also a, a shared language across not only the, the purpose, but, but the how, the values of an organisation and, and how they might go about that. And then it needs to be, you know, that needs to be articulated sort of at, at a brand organisational level, but then that needs to be embodied by the leadership team, mm -hmm. um, expressed and embodied and, you know, they need to walk that talk. And if those things are in place, then I think you then have the ability to grow 
the trust of your people um, around day-to-day -day activities, around goals, around um, the, the, the work that people are doing, um, and, and ultimately giving them a space where they can self-express in a, in a meaningful way on a day-to-day -day level in, in the work that they do. So I think, you know, what does trust mean to me what might be different to what it means to you or what I need to trust something might be different to you or others. I think just like uh, people are different, organisations are different, but ultimately my research led to uh, showing that if there was a very clearly articulated meaningful purpose and a set of values that helped live that purpose and then leadership practices that walked the talk, mm -hmm. then that's, that's what set up conditions for initial trust and psychological safety, which led to, you know, the, the ability for people to be vulnerable, um, which, which leads to empathy, which leads to connection, um, which then ultimately leads to what I would call deep connection at an organisational level. Right. And so the, the neurochemistry that, that underpins all this, so you mentioned oxytocin. So is oxytocin is, is a chemical that shows up in flow? Um, arguably, we think it might uh, uh -huh. on, the on the recovery end of flow. So flow is a four-stage cycle. So some people think you're just in or out of flow. Um, we're not. It's, it's a four-stage non-negotiable cycle. Um, it starts with the struggle, which, you know, we all know that feeling of struggle, whether it's procrastination or whether it's, um, you know, deep suffering, it, 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 there's a spectrum of struggle. Um, but I think, you know, the human, humans know that feeling well. Then there's a release. There's a release phase that takes us into the actual experience of flow. The flow can then be, again, it's a spectrum. It can be a micro experience of flow. It could be, you know, just the ability to write out a really awesome email in a, in a few minutes, or it could be a few hours of deep work, or it could be jumping out of a plane and feeling that kind of um, intense experience of flow. And then there's the, the recovery. And um, we don't know exactly what's going on in the brain from a neurochemical perspective, but we think that oxytocin shows up on that back end during the recovery phase. So that's basically. interesting. Sorry, when you think about it from, you know, where do we start with connection? You just, you just took my brain down a little rabbit hole there. Of, yeah, go for it, go for it. Where do we begin, you know? Um, and I, I think this is a cyclical thing and, and we might need to get into this in a little bit, but, you know, does flow come first? Does flow lead to connection? Does connection lead to flow? I, I think it's cyclical. Um, but I did begin and I do tend to begin with creating connection first. Mm -hmm. as the breeding ground then for flow to show up. So, so, so based on what you're just saying then, so and one of my theories around is that um, that four stage cycle, um, which, and, and all those periods, you know, all those different, those four stages, they can last for, for so many, um, um, such a wide spectrum of time, right? Struggle can last for months yeah. potentially a year or longer depending on the the challenge that you're you're um yeah. you're undertaking 
but it also can last. It can be the, you know, walking across the room to, to speak to that stranger mm-hmm. who caught your eye or something along those lines that can be a moment of struggle. Yes. Um, and, or a sporting event, you know, from an athletic's perspective, like going into a, a match or a competition, that, that anxiety, that, that sort of, that fear that sort of comes up with those nerves that we tend to feel. And then once we start, we hit into that release phase. So it can, can sort of last. A rider, for example, could potentially be in struggle for months and months and months. Yes. Before they actually drop in and mm-hmm. get to the, to the sweet spot. <laughs> but in, in terms of that, so, and if, if oxytocin does show up in the recovery phase and the back end of flow, um, to develop that deep trust and connection, would it be a, a, a feasible strategy for an organization or people, people in general to start with recovery, to make sure that they're recovered, they're fresh, they're at baseline, their nervous system is, is ready and raring to go um, before they actually start to go back into the struggle phase. So starting at that recovery rather than being the, technically the, you know, what looks to, appears to be the fourth spot on the, the cycle. Yep. I mean, that's a really interesting point. And I think that's where, you know, when, when I think about how I coach flow or train flow, uh, it is getting those recovery practices, whether they're daily or weekly or monthly or annual, um, those, those practices and routines in place uh, enables again, the right, um, uh, the, the right conditions for flow to show up. So, Mm -hmm. A lot of, um, we talk about, there's, there's two main models when it comes to the flow training. There's, there's the flow cycle, and it's super in, interesting and super important to understand that. And it's also a very intuitive cycle. You know, it's, it's a very human feeling, all of those phases, I think, and without even needing to understand the neurochemistry or the neuroelectricity of that cycle, I think whenever I talk about those four phases, you know, you get a lot of nodding heads. You know, we as humans relate to all of those feelings. Um, And then there's the flow triggers. So there's about 22 different flow triggers and we can talk to those in a moment, but it's it's layering those two models together and then working out daily, weekly, monthly routines and practices and habits and rituals that enable the right conditions for flow to show up. And a huge focus for that absolutely is on the recovery end of that cycle mainly because we skimp on that a lot especially yeah. as high performers um, so what, why is the, why is the recovery phase so important why and and maybe you can talk to as to why you think people skimp on that part the most well that's just um you know 21st century life culture western <laughs> culture anyway um where you know, it, it's we we take pride in being busy and in being, you know, high performers and achieving and not stopping and working 18-hour days. And, you know, that's how we have been brought up culturally. And, um, you know, we're learning now. I mean, the gift of neuroscience is we're learning that that's not actually the healthiest or best way to perform well. So... 
um, actually to take the time to recover or to set up a lifestyle where recovery is at the forefront, we're enabling ourselves to perform far better in less time, to recover faster, to learn at an accelerated rate. So the reason why from a flow perspective, recovery is so important is because that's where the actual benefit of the flow state shows up. So you can, you can in, enjoy a flow state and skimp on the recovery and struggle through back to flow. And you can do that. You know, I've been, I did that for decades. I'm sure you did too. Um, yeah. But if what, what you're missing out on uh, doing it that way is, especially through, you know, sleep is the number one recovery practice. And it's in sleep that you, your brain actually does its learning and growing. So in flow, we often get deep, rich, salient insight, um, especially in the, the more um, intense experiences of flow, you know, you have access to rich information you know, that aha moment or that those creative ideas that just come out of seemingly nowhere. Um, if you take the time to recover after that information download, um, the, the learning happens when you're asleep or the, the, the pattern recognition and all those, that, that deeper learning, accelerated learning, the neuroplasticity occurs when you're sleeping or at least when you're deeply resting. So if you take the time to recover, then you get so much more out of that. Um, the benefits of that flow state. Um, it's important to focus on because of, of that reason. Uh, and it's important to focus on what that's often where the flow training begins, because as I said, we tend not to um, see that as important or put an emphasis on that. And, um, and when we say recovery, you know, we joke about this. It's not Netflix and a bottle of wine on the couch on a Friday night. It's, it's active recovery. So it's sleep, it's meditation, it's um, hot, cold therapy, it's massage, it's uh, music, being out in nature, uh, deep connection, good relationships, that kind of thing. That's, that's what we mean. So, um, you know, when you think about those things, how many people do that actively day to day? It's actually, you know, quite an effort to get people to get into the habit of prioritizing those things. And, and, and the funny thing is we often feel guilty about prioritizing those things. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, I think that shows up and, and working with athletes and being an athlete and my experience has always been around, you know, resting and recovering it meant you weren't pushing the limits. You weren't pushing the boundaries, you know, yeah. show up, suck it up, keep pushing, keep pushing. Um, and that's kind of the culture of sport and culture of organizations and, and, even entrepreneurship um, business. Like it's just, you know, it, it becomes a badge of honor that, you know, yeah. how's it going? I'm so busy. I'm so busy. And, and I think we've got to switch that language um, to, to allow ourselves to give us permission to go. I am going to take that time to go and jump in an infrared sauna mm -hmm. or go for a walk down the beach, get in some hot, cold therapy, um, do a meditation in the middle of the day. Um, so, so yeah, so I, I love, I love that. And so, so, so in flow there, so can you talk a little bit to, um, the, the benefits, the characteristics of, of flow, you know, what is, um, you know, why should, um, why should we be embedding a high or trying to create a high flow lifestyle? What are the benefits? What are the characteristics of it? And, um, yeah, maybe, and maybe we can lead into some of the flow triggers and how to 
and you can potentially use utilize those to to trigger flow a yeah. bit more in your life. Sure. Well, just just tracking back to the technical scientific definition of flow, it's that peak mental state where you feel your best and perform your best. So if this is a state where you feel your best and perform your best, why why wouldn't you want that or more of that in your life? Mm. It's it's something that um, shows up really naturally for some people. So musicians, creatives, athletes, um, they naturally experience a lot of flow and they, you know, often without even realizing what, what that feeling is or how special that feeling is. Um, a lot of our work at FRC is around actually allowing people to realize that this is your birthright as a human. If you're human, you can access flow. Um, you don't have to be, you know, a, an athlete or a musician, you can access it in your family life. You can access it in your relationships. You can access it as a knowledge worker. Um, so, and, and the benefits of it, are it, it, on a nervous system level, it flushes out stress chemicals. So that's why it's so good for well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, it enables you to perform better. So again, whether that's in doing, uh, you know, whatever task that is, it could be from doing the dishes through to winning a Nobel Prize. It, it enables you to perform better. And, and most importantly, it feels really good. So it's this state that humans seek out. Um, it's, it's how we evolved as humans, how we had, um, you know, the, the ability to, um, travel the world or explore the world it's how we were able to hunt for food back in the day it 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 was the driver that enabled us to seek out and explore um and then express ourselves as humans Mm. um because it feels good and it's this state it's 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 what again a scientific term autotelics an autotelic state meaning it's a state it's it's a feeling that you seek out just for the sake of the feeling um it's, it's addictive um and group flow beyond that, you know, so there's individual flow. Um, and I would say if, you, if you're wondering, listening to this, I don't know what that feeling is when I don't know if I've experienced flow. I would think back to times, you know, even as a kid when you were just deep in play, you know, whatever you used to do as a kid, it might have been reading, it might have been building cubby houses, it might have been, you know, I don't know what else you might do as a kid. Like for me, it was happy houses and reading, but like (laughs) (laughs) whatever you might do as as a kid often as is that's when you would have felt that feeling the most kids are very, children are very good at, well, they're in flow a lot of the time. Um, Their brain chemistry, their brain electricity is set up for that. And they slowly sort of, as they get to the age of seven, eight, nine, move out of that. That is that states. is that because their um the prefrontal cortex is not fully developed at that stage, so their their executive functioning or their decision making isn't fully uh, online yet. So they're able to really, you know, that neurochemistry is able to draw their attention into that present moment of that rapt attention into the task at hand. Like, I'm 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 trying to put this piece of puzzle in the the right spot right now, and that is all that is. That's they're just so focused on it. Yeah, I, I believe so, and also their their brain brain waves are different, so they're more in sort of alpha, theta, than they are beta, and then they kind of you know as you get older and more self conscious, 
um, yeah. that changes. And, you know, the, the wonderful thing about being in flow, again, there's a, there's an acronym that we use a lot um, called STER, so S-T-E-R, which stands for selflessness, timelessness, effortlessness, and information richness. Um, and so that feeling of selflessness or that, you know, the prefrontal cortex shutting down, um, it, you know, yes, children are in that state uh, a lot more and a lot more easily. Um, so, yeah, tracking back to, to why, why you would want to be in flow and the benefit of it, it, it ultimately it feels good. It's good for the nervous system. It's good for stress. Um, it's good for productivity, creativity, innovation and learning. Um, but ultimately, it just it just feels really good, and it's, yeah. it's as a human, it's your birthright. And we just know that you know again. So flow's been studied for 150 years or so on a from a philosophical and psychological through that kind of a lens. Um, I mentioned Mihai Csikszentmihalyi earlier. He's known as the grandfather of flow, and he's done massive worldwide studies looking at um, when people feel their best and perform their best and it's when they were in this um, state that they would call a flowy state. Um, mm. Another word for it is, you know, being in the zone. You know, it's just those times where you're deeply focused on something and everything else kind of disappears and you're just in the moment, but you're doing. So it's not a meditative state. So you're not, it's, it, it's, it's, it's I often call it meditation in motion. So it's an action state you're, you're doing and create, well, you're doing something. There's a task at hand. Is that because the, the brain waves are actually in a very similar state, kind of like that alpha, theta, borderline, in a, like, you know, people who can really meditate extremely well, they can get their brain waves down to that level, but in flow, we can get there a lot quicker. Is, but generally when we're in flow, we are actually doing something. Yeah. So there's, so that's a diff. So what is the diff? Is there a part of the brain that switches on that that makes that different? Is there a? Are we aware of that? This is a good question for one of our neuroscientists. Um, and well, I I'm going to make sure I ask that on our next uh, Q and A at the Dr. Michael Menino or Mr. Stephen Kotler will have an answer there. Um, and I, th I think it's debated too. I mean, again, there, there's so many more questions and answers when it comes to this and, and we're slowly putting pieces of the puzzle together. Um, but the difference of flow to something like, you know, meditation from a feeling perspective, from what it actually feels like is that, you know, meditation, you're, you're not doing, you're just being, whereas flow, you're in action and you're doing something. It could be anything. It doesn't matter what you're doing, but you are in action. Yeah. And is it important for us to experience both the being and the doing? Well, that is the very philosophical question. <laughs> I, would say, <laughs> I would say yes. I mean, this is a personal individual, you know, answer. Um, yes, I think so. And I, I think that without the being, um, Flow can be a little dangerous, might be a, a too strong a word, but I think it's the being that gives the flow the ability to create or make positive impact on the world. So if right. you can get into flow from a state of being, and when we say being, I guess we're, we're tracking back to, you know, the work of Dr. Scott 
Barry Kaufman or the humanistic psychologists that came before him where we talk about purpose and meaningfulness and love and connection and um, connection to self, connection to others, connection to the, the world writ large. And I think uh, if there is some deeper work that's been done on that level, if you can anchor flow to that place, that's where I think personally we can really change the world and start solving some very wicked challenges that we're facing. But flow is an ethically neutral state. You can use it for good or for evil. Uh, many, many cases, examples, there are many examples of it being used for evil. It's at the heart of any terrorist group. Um, you know, there's been some pretty uh, nasty leaders over the centuries that have used mm. flow and group flow to um, make some really awful things happen. Um, you don't want it to land in the hands of the wrong people and it, it can do. So this is why I think your question around does, does the being and the, um, does that sit alongside? Uh, it doesn't have to, but I think if it does, then it's a better thing. It's a bit more authentic. You know, if you connect it to love and trust and a sense of belonging and, and all the, um, the sort of the hierarchy of needs, you're yeah, yeah. more likely to experience good than evil potentially potentially cool yeah that's a massive rabbit hole right there isn't it? <laughs> you can see me like <laughs> which which yeah, um, being mindful of, of, of your time and uh, everything maybe that's on our next uh, uh, podcast with you um, cool so so what um, so I'm just curious to come back to the the neurochemistry if we can just touch on so what are the the six is it six sort of the most potent neurochemicals show up in a flow state or in that flow cycle well and again it's um it what we think you know we think we know what's happening when i say we i mean the amazing neuroscientists that i work with so i'm not a scientist i just want to be clear on that um my uh, I guess skill or expertise is, is understanding the science and then interpreting, translating it into everyday language for everyday people um, in meaningful ways. So how I might communicate that one-on-one -on -one in a coaching session would be different to how I might communicate that to a group of executives, which might be different to a group of entrepreneurs, which might be different to how I try and talk to my family about it. So, you know, I'm really passionate about scaling this and getting it, um, mainstream you know one of Stephen Kotler's key goals is to make flow and the concept of flow and the experience of flow as mainstream as um, mindfulness and I'm 100% behind that because I think that will lead to a better world um, Absolutely. so I, I, love I, that. Yeah. I, I take that. yeah I take that science and and you know I sort of research and know who to trust and that's how I came to work with Stephen because obviously he's he's the leader in this field and the people that surround him are the leaders in this field. Um, and then I, I understand it best I can and interpret it. So what we know as in what they have discovered is um, in the struggle phase, there's stress chemicals. So cortisol and norepinephrine, um, they tend to get released out of the brain um, during the release phase, which is a nitric oxide that releases it out. 
then when you're in the actual experience of flow, there's, we think, dopamine, um, endorphins and anandamide. And then on the back end, the recovery is where potentially the serotonin and the oxytocin shows up. Having said that, not 100% sure that that's exactly how it rolls, but definitely that cocktail. As in that's the order of yeah. But is not, it, is it sort of exactly. set in stone that those, all those chemicals do show up? Yes. Most likely. They show up and it's the one time that all of them show up kind of at the same time or, you know, within a similar amount of time. And they're the most potent feel-good neurochemicals available to us. Um, and that's why it just feels so good when we're in that state of flow. Yeah. And that, and that flow state, like coming on the back end of flow, like that can, that can actually last a, quite a significant amount of time if you experience something that's, that has that, you know, really get that sort of macro flow moment that can last you for days. Yeah. To ride that wave of that feel good chemistry in your yeah, system. Yeah. Yes, and also it can feel a little low as well or at the tail end, you know, you think about when you've achieved something really amazing or, you know, or if you've jumped out of a plane, not that I've done that, but, or if you've, um, even if you've just been on a great holiday and you come home, there's that, or you've just submitted a, an assignment that you've worked really hard on, you feel good and there's that, that feel good um, moment, but then also you feel a little bit flat and that's because all of those amazing chemicals are being um, are being drained out of your system. So it's a good feeling at first and then, and then you become a little flat. But if you know what's going on, and this is why what we call cognitive literacy is so powerful, if you're aware of what's actually happening on a neurochemical level, then you can build in things that help you through that phase. Yeah, which is why I think the whole awareness around the actual process of what this is, embedding it, is such an empowering uh, uh, thing to be able to um, control in a way. For example, um, Kyla, my wife, just finished a show for three weeks doing the musical The Bodyguard and and just on the back end of that and knowing and and also doing some um, flow work with um, the lead in that show as well, on the back end of that, there was this crash. Mm -hmm. But having that level... That, that knowing that this is what's coming and then knowing how to recover from that effectively. Um, but just the awareness that it's coming is, yeah. is, is a significant thing because quite often we don't know why, why do I feel like I need a holiday after I've just been on a holiday? Exactly. Exactly. Um, type thing. So the awareness around knowing that it's coming can actually prepare you to set things up to make sure you've got active, good active recovery protocols in place. Um, make sure your sleep is a priority, hydration um, and all the other yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. things that are in place and, and, and give yourself time to get through it. Yes, exactly. Before. And what a wonderful gift of neuroscience. You know, imagine if we'd had that information growing up, you know, a wonderful thing to teach children how to manage mm. their emotions. Again, a lot of it's emotional regulation and just understanding what's happening and then having tools I guess, to help you through those moments. And again, those tools will look and feel different for everyone. Um, yeah. The- it's, like, it's almost like everybody's been given a Ferrari, but no one's been taught how to drive the thing. Well, exactly, yes. Um, exactly. And you're kind of just like, well, there's no manual, there's no nothing, go figure it out. Some people, figure, 
some people are smashing into all sorts of crazy shit <laughs> that's going on. So that's kind of the way I kind of see yeah. it in a way, you know, it's, so if you learn how to drive the, the high performance machine that you've been given, you're bound to get an amazing performance from your machine. Or if you crash, you know, you know why. And mm-hmm. maybe you just accept that, but. That's yeah. a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Cause sometimes you're going to crash. Yeah. Well, you kind of have to crash, don't you? Always. <laughs> to progress. Always <laughs> crashing. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, so this is really super cool stuff. And this is, this is one of the reasons why, um, you know, I've got involved with the uh, FRC on the, on the zero to dangerous training. And, yeah. and now I'm about to embark on a, on the second part of my journey with you, with you and the, and the, the amazing team that you have there on, becoming a flow trainer, um, a coach, um, to embed more of the, the lessons I've learned through my life of living a life of high flow and letting it lead me to certain experiences, but not having the awareness around it. And definitely not the, the awareness we talked about of knowing how to recover from it and use it effectively because it definitely there is a dark side to flow and we don't really need to go into that um, today. But if you're not, if you don't know how to manage it well, it can lead to, uh, some disastrous behaviors as well. Um, yes. and some, and some, um, not so great feelings yes. you know, on the back end of it. So, um, but, but let's talk a bit more around the organizational, um, idea of, um, of flow being in, embedded into a, 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 an organization's culture. So what are the upswings? What's the benefits of an organization taking, um, their people through having this skill, knowing how to drive their Ferraris to make their monster truck Ferrari <laughs> perform so much greater than the competition. And, um, and then uh, on side of that, having a, a culture of flow embedded in their system on their framework, um, how is that, will that enhance empathy, trust and vulnerability, which, you know, leads to, which is where the, the science is pointing now to, to, to really empower and light people up mm. um, the impact. So I know that's a really convoluted question that I just asked you, but I think you know where I'm going with it. So I'll let you take it from there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a deep and layered question. I'll, I'll, I'll try and hold it in my brain. Um, <laughs> Why would an organization want to embed flow? I think is the simplest answer to that is the two greatest challenges of an organization. You know, I'm being sort of reductive, but I think the the two biggest problems or challenges are well-being and mental health um, and the ability to create and innovate. Um, So, Organizations exist to create and innovate, um, especially organizations of the 21st century. If, if they're not doing that, they're going to be highly irrelevant pretty soon. Um, mm-hmm. And the thing that's getting in the way of that innovation and creativity is um, disengagement and at, at, the, at the best and at the worst, you know, really dire mental health issues whether it's burnout or, or worse. So I, I, I see this as the simplest 
most elegant solution. Um, because when you're experiencing flow, you feel better and you perform better. And the way to experience flow is to learn how to harness your nervous system to work for you, not against you. And you do that learning techniques that are, require only your brain and your body. So there's no fancy technology. There's no expensive convoluted leadership kind of framework. It's literally educating people around how their brains and bodies work and how it impacts on how they feel and how they act. Um, organizations put phenomenal amounts of money into performance um, and leadership programs. And they're trying to work out how to deal with the mental health issue and, you know, there are some sort of, you know, token advances towards mental health and well-being programs and strategies and that kind of thing. But really, people don't know what they're doing there, and and the impact of those those programs is is not great so far. So, um, why wouldn't you underpin your culture and your organisation with something that is simultaneously up-leveling those two things very in a, on a very simple in a very simple way um, having said that well and so you know the research that we've done at FRC and that, that Stephen's done over the last 10 years has shown that um, having workers in flow does phenomenal things to productivity you know to creativity, to accelerated learning, like the statistics are out of this world and they're being... Like, like 400, 500 plus yeah. percent in increase in productivity, creativity, pattern recognition goes through the roof. Yeah. Decision-making is, is heightened. You know, yeah. you know, it's, 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 it's unbelievable, the, the statistics. And it's astounding and, um, and it's, it's being these, these case studies are being replicated over and over. So it's, it's pretty, you know, it stands up pretty robustly um having having said that i have never had a greater challenge in my life than working out how to embed flow inside an organization because it's as simple as the solution is we as humans um are very complex creatures and we enjoy making things complicated as well as complex and um the journey to uh, really deeply embedding flow inside an organization is, is not an easy one. Um, potentially easier if, if it's, if an organization is built from the ground up with that at, at the heart and the DNA of the organization, um, harder to retrospectively kind of embed it but certainly not impossible. And again, this is a lot of the work that we're doing at FRC at the moment. Um, it certainly doesn't happen overnight. It's, it's a 12 to 18 month minimum engagement with an organization to make this happen. Um, but it, you know, we're, we're, the kind of results that we're getting when, when leadership teams actually commit to this is, is astounding. And I really think that organizations who don't latch onto this and get this soon are, are just going to be irrelevant because if you've got an organization that has is, is um, fueled by high flow individuals who are also very good at getting into group flow um, 
you know, when you're talking about the statistics like increase in creativity by 400% or a thousand times productivity or, you know, all those, you know, astounding statistics. Yeah. If you've got an organization who's performing like that and an organization that's not, then it's just it's a no brainer. You know, you're not going to exist for much. Yeah. Time. Yeah. One, one of my favorite things I've heard Stephen Kotler say is that, you know, if you can, if you can, um, if you can get into flow on Monday and spend the day in flow, um, you know, you and be five times more productive than your competitors. You can work on Monday and take the rest of the week off and yep. still get as much done or be as productive and creative as your competitors. Exactly. Um, spend two days of work in flow and now you're beating them by, yeah, yep. you're doubling, you're doubling. So it's, it's a significant, Significant, and, and and when you look at those statistics, they look like a bit of a moonshot, right? They look like they're a bit out of this world. And I guess if you went back twenty years ago, thirty years ago, where there wasn't the science or the the evidence around this, like it wasn't measured, it wasn't now that that now that's been measured, and you can sort of you know I think it was McKinsey did a study on the productivity and sort of productivity was five hundred percent greater in executives yeah. that experience flow. Yeah. Um, yeah. That. But you know, and let's so let's stop talking. No, not stop talking. But let's change the, the 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 theme a little bit to the well-being side of things because one of the reasons that I got into f- this flow, other than having experienced a lot of it in my life without re- truly understanding it, was that I experienced working in an organisation that did not induce a very high flow lifestyle. Did not in embed these things there was it was really um, quite the opposite when you look mm-hmm. at all the uh, the way to actively engage or activate people's you know to light your people up to, to empower them to, to perform and feel the best and do their best yeah. it was quite the opposite and then having an understanding around this format and how impactful it really is like chasing a doing the things that light you up on a daily basis you know, makes people come alive. And that's kind of the mission I've been on is finding that thing that makes me come alive and, and flow training and coaching and helping people find their things that light them up is really the thing that excites me more than anything. Having these sorts of conversations and learning from people like yourself and, um, and the FRC and, but knowing the impact that it can have on a global scale of, of wellbeing, mental health, mm. um, and then talk about the, the problems that we can solve when we're in that state, when we all feel good, like the energy in yeah. a room when people are feeling good yeah. is, yeah. is so addictive and so um, contagious yeah. as yeah. is being in a room full of people that are negative, not mm-hmm. feeling good, mm-hmm. toxic. It's yeah. equally as contagious. So um, I, I, I find it really sad that, people experience what I, I experienced for a short period of time for such a massive part of their life. Mm. And, um, and it's particularly right now, you know, and I want to bring COVID into this conversation a bit because the, the result, you know, the, the stats are showing that mental health is, or the, the decline of people's mental health is it's being accelerated right now through this era. Yes. Um, so, so knowing that, Embedding flow into your lifestyle, even through, say, a pandemic, can increase your well-being and help you through those moments. 
how vital is it that organizations are seeking to, to light their people up and get them actively engaged um, so they're more happy at work, they, they get more job satisfaction, they're, they're more attached, they're more open and vulnerable, they're more trusting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what's the impact that that can have exponentially on a global scale? Um, and why, where do we start with that? How do we get it going? Even pre-COVID, there was a massive um, problem with mental health and disengagement, as, as you know. And, you know, you personally experienced a toxic environment. Really, that's how I came to this, not only um, experiencing that in others, but personally burning out um, and really not, you know, not necessarily having any reason to burn out, um, but, but actually burning out. And, you know, that question of why, why are, why are we burning out where, you know, we're healthy, privileged people, you know, who are, it, it just, it, sent, it felt like something that didn't necessarily need to be happening. It, it was avoidable. Um, I mean, uh, for arguments um, aside, like we live in a time where we should be thriving with all the exactly. knowledge and science and, yeah. and information available to us. Yeah. today yeah. we should be like in the best happiest ways possible and you know really what it is mostly or often not not always i mean it's it's you know severe mental health issues are different but often at that low level of sort of micro day-to-day stress and ptsd it's just overstressed nervous systems and not knowing how to deregulate mm. fast forward to 2020 and we have COVID 19 and this is a really interesting stress that not only, you know, there was an event, um, I guess it kicked off March globally. Um, you know, this event happened. Um, it resulted in lockdown and quarantine for most of the world. We then came out of that. Um, some people are, you know, going back in. Our fellow Victorians are deep in it at the moment. Um, However, it's, it's an ongoing stress that's not going away. You know, COVID-19 isn't going away. Perhaps when there's a vaccine, that's when it will feel like it's ended for us. But we aren't used to, as humans, dealing with this sort of ongoing um, stress. You know, there's an earthquake. Okay, it happens, it finishes. There's, there's you know, trauma that may outlast the event, but the event has finished, whereas this is ongoing. So I think what we're seeing is really interesting, a different kind of mental health um, problem that probably some people aren't even aware of. And I really believe now, as I did back even three or four years ago when I began this work, that organisations and leaders have a responsibility to be helping people through this kind of scenario or helping people learn how to up-level their well-being. Organisations are one that's, of the That's with or without COVID. With or without COVID. Um, yeah. Organisations are one of the last standing societal institutions that have that kind of influence over people. And yeah. I, I absolutely feel, I mean, again, this is a personal um, opinion, but feel that they have, we, well, as leaders, there's a responsibility to be educating people around how to survive and thrive through these moments in time. Um, Interestingly, we are as humans 
enabled or designed to grow through times of adversity. Um, and if you look to the work of one of our, I know it's mutual um, favorite neuroscientist, Dr. Andrew Huberman, um, who's going deep into looking at what he calls self-adaptive neuroplasticity. So growing the brain as an adult, which is different to how the brain grows as a child. Um, but what's required for that to happen um, is two things or three things, a, a level of urgency um, and focus alongside deep recovery. So if we can, during this time of urgency and, you know, quite focused on, on, a, on a particular thing, if we can be recovering as well um, actively, then we, we have the capacity to accelerate our learning during this time. And as long as that, you know, learning is focused on good positive outcomes, then that could be a huge benefit of COVID-19. You know, it, it doesn't have to be, we don't have to be paralyzed by it or crippled by it or, um, um, you know, really negatively affected by it. Um, so there, there's mm. capacity there as long as we're learning around um, what's happening and why it's happening and enabling leaders to guide their people through this time, then it's actually could be a time of exponential growth and development. And connection as well. I would, I would imagine if you've got, if you've got a leadership in place and, and touching your point, like their leader leaders in organizations have a responsibility to up upskill and up level their people for their wellbeing and mental health. Yeah. Um, not just for a, for an organizational benefit, but for, you know, for, for people, for people to be able to thrive and, and create a culture that mm. if they're trying to promote a certain culture in their organization, that they want people showing up to work with a, with a, yeah. with a, a level of optimism that is, that is there not this underlying kind of negativity or stress. So exactly. having that skill set to, to, to be able to negate that or derail the, the potential consequences of the mental health issues spiking drastically. Mm -hmm. It's, it's almost, it's unquestionable. It has, it should be the first thing discussed, but they also have to the ability to affect people um, on a global scale on the masses. There's some of this, there's some massive organizations out there that have thousands of people in their you know, under their umbrella, that under their care, mm. that you know, from from a from a decision that comes from a, a board level, CEO level, top yeah. down, goes. No, we're gonna make sure our people are are lit up and they're happy, yeah. and they know how to handle stress, and that we can we can all connect on that level. Then, like, you know, the 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 feeling around that, like walking into an organization and being a part of something like that is. Like just being that engaged is is exciting and yeah and inspiring. You know, it's really inspiring to think that this sort of work can inspire that that sort of uh, environment. It's it's the most inspiring thing I know. You know, like this, this is my life purpose is to work out how to do that. And I, I think you're right. Um, it's a responsibility potentially. I mean, that's a personal opinion, but it's imagine you know imagine if we could 
help people grow, um, up-level, transcend, self-actualize, transcend through, um, mm -hmm. through really humanistic leadership practices that prioritise this kind of thing. I mean, and that's all very idealistic and wonderful, and that is certainly what lights me up, and I know it lights you up, and it's, it's my purpose. But even taking a step back from that, you cannot have peak performance without optimal well-being. It's, it's not possible. So even if you just want to be a selfish leader who's just all about making the money and, uh, you know, even from that perspective, you, you may as well do this anyway because you're not going to get those results and that level of innovation and creativity without having healthy, healthy minds. And yeah. so either way, whether you're coming at it from that's, that's really up-level the world, that's up-level humanity, that's grow into our humanness, that's see what it looks like to have enhanced empathy, enhanced emotional um, intelligence, wisdom, joy, um, group flow, all these things that are possible. You know, imagine what we could do with that. Let's leave the AI and the robots to do the mechanics, to do the operations, to, to, to run that side of things. And that's just humans step into our humanness um, and evolve, evolve at that level and see what, what we can do. And that, that's the thing that excites me. Firstly, I'm deeply passionate about up-leveling up well-being, getting people well again. Like, there's nothing more important to me. I don't want to see another person close to me suicide. I've seen far too many, at, at, yeah. you know, and I don't want to see another person burn out. I don't want to, um, I don't want to burn out again myself. Um, and again, we're talking from a very privileged place in this world, you know, and that just, it just shouldn't be happening. But then what, you know, I'm also a futurist. So imagine what we can do in this future if we can um, really understand and step into our whole humanness. And that, that's the most exciting bit. Yeah. That's, you think about where we're, at, where we're at today and how far we've come in the last 100 years only and even the last 20 years, like the, you know, yeah. and, 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 you know, from my learning from FRC and, and, and Stephen and around flow, flow has been at the bedrock, at the foundation of a lot of that growth. Yes. Um, and, and, and not just talking about sports or extreme sports, you know, where guys are now surfing 100-foot waves, and, you know, and then like 20 years ago they were only surfing 25-foot waves and all these crazy things that, are, that people are doing. People are doing phenomenal things. Mm -hmm. And it all comes down to being able to focus your attention to that given moment mm -hmm. and have a vision around what that looks like. So what's the vision if you had a, a global population of lit up human beings that were empowered to do the thing they love doing the most and, yeah. and what could be solved through that. But, but on that, you know, do we have the, the courage, the courage to step out and say, we're going to put people first because that's not what pays bonuses. It's not, you know, organizations aren't built around, you know, how many happy people do you have in your organization or how many lit up human beings are working for you and how, you know, how many people stick around and play table tennis at the end of work on Friday and, and, and hang out together. You know, it's, it's KPIs are not measured 
on well-being. Nice. So, so where does the the courage start from? You know, is it the board, CEO, is it is it a combined effort that you've got to get a certain group of people in the same language and the same vision to to, to be courageous and step outside of the the money bubble a little bit and. Uh, well, it's it's a really interesting question. I mean, it, it's a mindset shift. It's just a simple mindset shift to understand that you can't have though you know you can't reach those kpis without the well-being you just it's 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 not possible um or whatever kp whatever kpis you're meeting with whatever well-being or um disengagement you have you, you should you could be pushing far well beyond what you're achieving if you had the optimal well-being built in mm. i sometimes think well you know that's just not even you know, if, if people don't want to go there with the well-being and if they're not brave enough to put people first or um, then don't just put, put the um, performance first but train, train people in flow and then you're dealing with both anyway. You know, it's... Yeah. I, so, I, so that's the win-win. Flow is the win-win situation. It's, it's a no-brainer. It's like simply a no-brainer. And I will talk about well-being to certain people. I'll talk about performance um, to others, depending on where the emphasis lies within that person's or leader's values. And sometimes you get the leader who values both. But it, at the end of the day, and this is why I, I joke that I like to dress straight and infiltrate inside organisations <laughs> and I've got to talk, talk the performance, um, you know, language. But really, I know if, if, they, if they take on this approach, they're also up-leveling well-being. That's, that yeah. makes me happy. <laughs> yeah and there's and that's and that also requires that shift in language because yeah, uh, yeah yeah it's 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 really well, and that comes down to empathy i this is all about connection and empathy um being able to step into the shoes of the people you're trying to connect with uh find a shared language find some shared goals and work from that place um and and that's that's how we get this inside organizations um, is through being really good at understanding deeply what is important to people, to leaders, and then um, and, and sort of reverse engineering, I guess, a strategy from that place that um, enables a high flow, high flow culture. And the empathy, I think, I mean, I think this, I think, Again, this is where this is. I get excited because my research or my passion began with empathy. You know, empathy was a really big deal to me five years ago. Um, when when I was a brand strategist, I used to all my brand workshops started with talking about empathy and what does it mean inside an organisation and what does it mean as a brand and. And what does it mean to be vulnerable as a brand and, you know, allow for empathy and connection? And um, I think if we can get better at that as humans on any level, whether it's business, inside relationships, as parents, um, as friends of, of people, it, it only leads to deeper connection, which then leads to being able to achieve greater things. Um, and then just circling back again, I mean, this is all a little bit um, rabbit holy at the moment, but, you know, one of the outcomes of flow is heightened empathy. So I think this is why it's just this cyclical, very, you know, the more flow you get, the more flow you get, the more flow we get, the more empathy we get, the more empathy we get, the deeper connection, 
which leads to the um which leads to the trust and trust, the... which leads to the flow, which leads, you know, and all within that is purpose and meaning and love and um yeah, so it's it's simple and it's messy at the same time. Um, really, how we scale this comes down to, to communication. And, mm. uh, and I'm still working on that one, so. Yeah, well, <laughs> I love what you're doing. I love what um, the Flow Research Collective are bringing to, um, to, to everyday people and, and, and the mission that they're on to, to really train people give people the, the the skills to be able to to drive their ferrari yes uh, and experience a life that really excites them and and fuels their kind of you know i think of you know living a life of more on the satisfaction like striving for satisfaction rather than happiness yes. and i think you know by leaning into the struggle getting releasing getting into flow recovering experiencing that that high and low, the richness mm-hmm. in, it, in it all yes, and, um, is what leads us to that satisfaction. And the satisfaction is what brings us the joy mm-hmm. rather than I'm not convinced that chasing a life of being happy is what we truly need. I think it's more living a life of finding the moments that we can be satisfied that we live through or experienced if that makes sense. I agree. I think satisfaction uh, and meaningfulness, that's what we as humans are in search of. Um, we've, we've been told to look for happiness, especially sort of our generation, I think. Um, but what is happiness? I don't, I don't think we know. And I think it's very subjective. And I think building a life around meaning and purpose tends to lead to better well-being. Um, and I think that's why, again, getting this work out there is so important. Um, you know, flow offers a sense of meaningfulness and purpose. Um, and I think that's what we as humans of the 21st century of 2020 in particular really need right now. So um, I'm glad you're on this flow journey with us. It's- yeah, I'm hooked. I'm, uh, <laughs> I, I just checked the time and and we've been talking for one hour and 42 minutes um, in flow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and that's the thing, like I, you know, in doing this work, like when you, when you're having these discussions around this, you, you, you do experience flow, like flow is embedded everywhere in so many moments. And, and we're usually not that aware of it. We usually put it down to, Oh my God, I've, I've just, time's gone by so quickly. I'm late now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but if you know the flow's coming, like I know that in this conversation, I was going to get lost in whatever yeah. whatever we flowed onto. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's knowing that, yeah, you know, our podcast will go for an hour. It probably won't because yeah. I, know, I know it's coming. So you've got yeah. to prepare and for I mean, that. No, it's it's so cool. Yeah, it's so cool just, just to go back to the flow cycle, you know, and, and to be a little vulnerable for the listeners, you know, before we got on and hit record, I'm sitting there going, I don't know if I have a brain and I don't know what's going to come out of my mouth. And, you know, and, and that's, yeah. that's the struggle. Like that's the bit where, and then you, 
the release is all right we're hitting record we just got to do it let's do it and and, yeah. it release, and then the flow happens and now we'll we'll stop recording soon and you'll go do your thing i'll go do my thing and and there'll be a high um and then there'll be a low and you know it's just a, a nice way of kind of describing to people what what we mean by those different phases and yeah yeah, yeah. and so so it's important that we both leave this conversation and go do some form of active recovery. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, and make sure that we get a good night's sleep tonight yes. because you have dropped some unbelievable nuggets of information and, and knowledge for, for everyone and for me. So I want to make sure that my sleep is on point tonight so I can retain that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Story so that I can repeat this information to others that make me sound equally as intelligent as you. So... <laughs> but look, Claire, thank you so much for spending so much time um, sharing all that information and, and your vision. And um, It's inspiring and I love the direction you're heading and I love being um, a friend of yours and someone that I can uh, talk to about all this sort of nerdy stuff that I never thought I'd be talking about neuroscience. Yeah. Um, I'm so excited about it, but it's, it's super cool and, and uh We'll definitely have you on the Flowcast again at some yeah, point soon. And excellent. yeah, and if you want to check out more, check out uh, Flow Research Collective. Um, and yeah, some amazing programs there. And yeah, look yes, at Flow. Come train with us. Yes, yes. Absolutely. Well, All right. You. It was a pleasure as always. I appreciate you having me here. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much. And we'll uh, talk soon. Okay. Thank you for dialing into the Flowcast. I hope you took away some valuable insights to make your challenges and journey a little more epic. If you'd like to learn more about how we can help you find more flow and upskill your vision and mindset, check out our flow programs at www.inspiredpeakperformance.com or you can follow us at Instagram at paulpriceperformance. Thanks again for sharing your valuable time with us and please feel free to share and subscribe to the Flowcast. Until next time, get out there, find your flow and create your own inspired peak performances daily.